This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jeff. You can follow us on Twitter at RunPodOption or email us at RunPodOption at gmail.com. We're part of the Fifth Quarter Network. This episode is a continuation of our conference preview series. Last week, we got the MAC. We got the Conference USA. We got the Sun Belt. This week, we got the Mountain West Conference and the American Athletic. And for the Mountain West coverage, we invited Chris from Forgotten Five. Chris, can you say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, everybody. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Chris. I currently do nothing at the Forgotten Five. I'm basically the old guy who tells everybody else what to do, except Nick is the actual boss. I'm just kind of the moral support. So, yeah, that's it, it works perfectly with my background. I, I In the past, uh, if anybody actually follows uh, over the course of the years, I've done many Mountain West things over the course of years i used to be affiliated with mountain west connection long ago and so you may have heard my voice from there uh so it's been a while though like at least three or four years actually probably longer and uh it's so nice of you to have me on today well it is a comeback tour and we're we're glad to have you so we're going to discuss as we did in last week's show, we're going to go over each conference's new staff, maybe some coach discussion on hot seats or just new hires, wherever it is leading. Uh, then we're going to also cover player spotlights. We're going to cover some games to keep an eye out for and add to your schedule. And then we're going to make our predictions. So to start, let's get into coaches. And the first thing, the very, very first thing I want to talk about is... So Steve Adazio, huh? Oh, oh God! <laughs> Run the damn ball! Run the damn ball, and faster this time. Just keep running it. We talked about this on our show, Chris, uh, months ago. Now, the hire and the nepotism, and Urban Meyer being on the on the 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 hiring staff or the hiring committee, basically. In your opinion, your Mountain West opinion, do you think that? Adazio can kick that six and six stink that follows him. And do you think that a high paced running game, it can be successful? Cause I think we kind of see what air force has done. It's not going to be the same running game, obviously, but do you think he can have success there? So the mountain West conference has been known as a quarterback school, but it also has been known as a running back school. Obviously you have Air Force, but people seldomly talk about New Mexico. And when Bob Davey was running New Mexico, they also had a, a triple option hybrid kind of thing there. And then, of course, you talk about San Diego State having crazy good running, Boise State, and then even UNLV had had um, awesome running backs, Fresno State. So, like, there's really good running backs in the school. So this is a perfect opportunity for Steve Adazio to run the ball for a school that has primarily been known for over the past few years passing, I, I guess. Um, here's the thing. This is a super confusing hire on all levels. He could totally break the six and six stigma, but then he'll have a seven and five stigma. <laughs> I you're going to say it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be three and nine from here on out. He's, he's finally broken it, but it's not, it's going the wrong way. It could it could actually go the wrong way. That's the that's the horrible thing. I shouldn't say horrible. That's the confusing thing about Colorado State. You would think that with coaches like McElwain, 
or or uh, or the last guy or or Adazio now. I forgot the last guy's name for momentarily. You, you would think with coaching pedigree, quote unquote, that they would have had this idea of improvement. But there's always something, you know. There, there's always some barrier mm-hmm. to overcome. Either that's the coaches who are there to have their ego and 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 their refusal to adapt, or whether that's, you know, they don't have the core of players that they want or even administration. But here's the thing. They definitely have administration support because you obviously saw that beautiful new stadium they opened up uh, last year, a couple of years ago. So they have it. Um, the core of players is there. Now is it's it's all about is there a coach who's going to be willing to step up to the plate and help lead them in the right direction? And I don't think Adazio's it because once again, if you're so insistent on running the ball and that's your main focus, well, guess what? There's two other teams already in your division, and if you even want to call consider Boise State and Wyoming, who has Craig Bull who was basically an, uh, like a run-heavy team as well. So that's four potential teams in your division. A fifth team in your division running the ball is not necessarily going to be the answer. I think that this year might be interesting because I think that he probably has a pretty decent first year, but I don't think it's going to because – I don't think it's because I think Steve Adazio is good. I think it's because there's a lot of new head coaches throughout. Seven of the 12 teams – in the Mountain West have either new head coaches or second-year head coaches in terms of their time at that school. Nothing says complacency like Steve Adazio. So <laughs> I just <laughs> – I don't think it's going to work at all. It's I'm, – I'm biased because I don't like BC. I didn't – you know, I don't think that they've ever done anything that's really – like in the last so many years that's done – that's like impressed me. It's it, it's a hire that does nothing for me. Yeah, I'm not racing to the dial to see Colorado State unless they're getting just like drugged by Boise State. <laughs> Chris, of some of these other hires, because I don't want to dive that deep really into Todd Graham or Brady Hoke. Out of the two, losing Rocky Long, where he goes back to New Mexico to be a defensive coordinator, and losing Nick Rolovich. How do you feel like Todd Graham and or Brady Hoke are going to adjust maybe in this year, even just in in this window of this year? I don't like the Todd Graham move at all. There's kind of a a running joke in the college football world that Todd Graham has a understandably bad rap of sticking around for a few places before randomly leaving for another school. To his credit, he did not do that at Arizona State. But at the same time, he didn't do that great at Arizona State either. I think with Todd Graham, you've got somebody who's, if I remember correctly, his focus was more on defense, and that's not Hawaii's focus at all. So it's going to basically be slamming on the reset button. With Brady Hoke, it's a lot more consistent, right? A Brady Hoke is a fine hire, like in the sense that, okay, it's fine. You went from Brady Hoke to Rocky Long. Now you're going from Rocky Long back to Brady Hoke. He'll be successful at San Diego State. He knows the system. The system really hasn't changed from when he left, except the quarterback situations have gotten worse. But maybe that's something he can improve. It's fine. 
expect San Diego State to be, you know, near the top of the division every year because Brady Hoke brings a sense of consistency back to San Diego State. It's not like you're like completely changing the system. It's not like you're completely getting somebody out of the new. You're already getting somebody who's familiar with. I, I noticed that you didn't bring up uh, UNLV's uh, Marcus Arroyo. That's where I was. Yeah, that's where I was actually just going to go. I actually think uh, this is a sneaky good. Actually, it's not even a sneaky good. It is a good hire. Here's the thing. Everybody's going to look back at the Tony Sanchez uh, era and say that was a failure. No, it absolutely wasn't. The only reason why it was a failure it was in terms of the wins and losses. But what T- Sanchez's coaching and what Sanchez's era did was it helped lay the foundation, a solid foundation for the next head coach. He got the fundraising up. He got the Fertitas to buy into a brand new football complex. He was the one who helped lobby to bring UNLV to play in the Death Star, the Allegiant Stadium next year. You know, he was the one who basically made Las Vegas, even if they weren't being successful, like he made the city of Las Vegas interested in UNLV football. So I, I can't say that that, that was a, a failure for what he did. Now, like I said, it, when it comes down to wins and losses, that's that's where he stumbled a bit. But you know what? He brought the recruiting up. He managed to steal some recruits who were from his old high school in Bishop Gorman, brought them to UNLV, uh, increasing the competition, increasing the st- – like, you know – making the games closer. So with setting that foundation, now bringing in somebody like Marcus Arroyo, who was the offensive coordinator at Oregon, very successful. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see UNLV now start competing even more. And with the schedule that UNLV has, uh, don't be surprised if they steal a game or two, at least this year. I mean, they have, if if I'm going to look at my schedule really quick, uh, they have games against Cal. They have games against Arizona State, Louisiana Tech, which, you know, is a random non-conference. And that will actually be the only game, to my knowledge, that will actually be at the old Sam Boyd Stadium. But then they, they're going to Iowa State. And if you can pull an upset on the road at Iowa State, that'd be huge. You know who else can pull up an upset on the road, although with less effort? North Dakota State, but North Dakota State is an established powerhouse. You know, FBS teams need to learn to never play North Dakota State at any point in time. Ever. Especially if you're in the group of five. Jeff, how do you feel about um, playing teams from the FCS? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I think I know. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, we, we all know what we're talking about. No, I mean, the, the only school that I am a side fan of is now an FBS school, so I don't, I don't know what. <laughs> they weren't at the time. <laughs> Chris... <laughs> Since you brought up North Dakota State, do you want to talk about how good of a job or how you envision what Craig Bowles already done at Wyoming and what it might look like in the next couple of years if they're really going to be – because they're already finishing as one of the better Mountain West teams every year. They're consistent in that aspect. Do you think that with more time that Bowl eventually is just going shot for shot with Boise State – in the mountain con- or mountain division, I think we already see we already have seen that a couple times. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, and 
it was painful for me to watch because as a Boise State alumnus, that game a couple of years ago at Wyoming where linebackers sacked our quarterback in the end zone for a game winning safety. Uh, and then and then the the just the gif, I, I still see it perfectly in my head. The the safety dance, the literal safety dance <laughs> of the Wyoming linebacker and doing kind of his little groove there. It just stings in my mind, and yet it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I think Wyoming I think absolutely Wyoming is a consistent school. I, I think Craig Bull the one talent that Craig Bull has had is bringing t- players to schools where you would basically not necessarily want to go to school. I mean, Fargo is a fantastic town, but to spend four years there, that's that's got to be a little tough unless you're from North Dakota. To spend four years of the quote-unquote best years of your life there, <laughs> too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And then, and then now he's in Laramie, Wyoming. Once again, Laramie is a beautiful town, but there's nothing outside of that town. Like, like, shy. If if you want to go to like a real quote unquote town town experience, you got to travel ninety miles east to Cheyenne. You know, so Craig Bull has done an excellent job of bringing players to Laramie. And basically saying, you're going to focus on football and, and you know, we're going to work as a team and everything like that. And, and he's gotten the consistent results. And you absolutely could say that Wyoming is always going to be fighting for kind of a, a division spot. Boise State will always be the kings in the mountain. They're always going to have the target on their back. But you should always expect a, a Wyoming or an Air Force or maybe the Utah State to kind of just steal a win here and there to pop up and, and nab them every once in a while. Jeff, Kyle, or Chris, are there any other coaches or coaching hires or, or coaching breakdowns that you guys want to discuss before we get on to players? I know we kind of hit like the, the big names, you know, we could talk Jay Norville, you know, we want to, his brother is I'd making more, more noise. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if I was going to talk about any other coach, I think it would be Troy Calhoun and just, how insane it is that he's been there now he's for still there. 13 years. And he's, yeah. And they yeah. had such a fun team last year. We previewed and I watched from front to back that Washington State Air Force bowl game. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. Oh, that was yeah. fun. Troy Calhoun's been, been a staple at Air Force. And I don't see him going anywhere. He's, his name always is brought up for different jobs. And he always kind of casts down the rumor and turns it down. You know, I, I wouldn't see him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him retire there at some point. I just I don't know what job that would interest him that he he would take. That that already hasn't opened up at least, and maybe his name been floated out there. I, yeah, I can't think of what even a great fit would look like. Now, would I love to see something like? What would I love to see something like? Oh. um you know, USC fall on flat on its face, Clay Helton getting fired, and all of a sudden Troy Calhoun being like, you know what? I think I want that USC job and, and bring the triple option to USC. Now, first of all, that would be <laughs> that would be a culture clash of absolute culture class clashes. But that also might actually make USC fun to watch in either their ultimate failure in trying 
or oh my goodness the triple option still works and we already knew it works but now with five-star athletes this is absolutely the scariest thing possible isn't that what we tried at georgia tech though yeah and it was successful for a long time it would be pretty funny if because that culture right now with USC isn't as ingrained in the air raid, but if Rolovich gets a bigger job and after having 10 years of just the air raid, then bring in Calhoun and just see how much of a culture clash and how long it would take for a roster turnover standpoint for them to really be excellent. One last coach, Brian Ward, going in as the DC at Nevada. Have fun. Yes, Have I fun. forgot to throw that to you, Kyle. <laughs> so Brian Ward, former Syracuse defensive coordinator, correct? Got fired this past year for allowing all of the yards, I think, against Pittsburgh. Oh, no. When does, <laughs> hold on. When does Nevada play Colorado State? Because was it Boston College that ran it up on them? Uh, I don't know if they play Colorado State this year. It, it might have been Pittsburgh. Let me see if I can. Oh, boy. It was I, Pittsburgh. I, I remember that game. Okay, so you're safe, and Colorado State, you're correct, does not play Nevada this year. Okay, whew. All right, well, let, let's move on to some player spotlights, what to watch out for this year. I'm going to start with one. Feel free, Kyle, Jeff, Chris, to jump in with something you got. The first one I want to bring up is, speaking of Craig Bull, is returning running back for Wyoming. Yes. Xavier Valaday. Awesome name. Insanely named. X, XV alone is a solid set of initials. But they retired. Please tell me he's going to wear number 15 this year. Oh, if that would he, be perfect. Oh, my God. What if he did? It's it's XFL all over again. So last year's eight-win campaign, they in, returned the entire two-deep offensive line. And if Sean Chambers is healthy, they take some of that pressure off, validate I'm going to go ahead and suggest is going to be a top five running back in the nation in terms of production. And he will be, this is a bold off the top of my head here. I think he will be the media darling for a Heisman at the G5 level. As the guy that they go, well, the oldest disrespected Valaday, even though, you know, you still got Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Valaday is going to be fantastic this year. I'm going to go with... Warren Jackson out of Colorado, Colorado State. And more just because I'm curious as how he gets used. Because this is a dude, 6'6", 220. Big dude. Uh, he actually finished tied with T. Higgins last year for second highest receiving grade in tight coverage. Are they going to throw the ball to him with Steve Adazio there? No. He, he's going to have tight <laughs> coverage because he's going to be run blocking. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I, he, he's like a legit like good receiver. He was added to the Blitnikoff Award li- list last year. Seems like he's going to be there again this year, you know. But how how much use is he going to get in an Adazio offense? Chris, oh man, there's so many people I can talk about. Once again, uh, my my own. Boise State Broncos. I could talk about you know C.T. Thomas, Ezekiel Noah. Um, I or I could talk about the quarterback situation. If Hank Bachmeyer doesn't even start, you still have Chase Cord, and then you have the third transfer who came in. They stole um, from San Diego State, um, who was a USC commit. I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about two different players here. I'm gonna talk about first of all uh, DJ Hammond, the third uh, Air Force. 
he is going to be really fun to watch. And in fact, um, my buddy Matt Kennerly had an argument as to why he was better than Hank Bachmeyer for as a Mountain West quarterback because he does it all. And of course, being in a triple option offense, of course you're going to do it all. But being able in a triple option offense to actually be as an efficient passer as Hammond is, that is that is what's amazing to watch. And when you have when you have Caden Rimsburg, their their main tailback that was the MVP of the Cheese Bowl last year, he's returning and he was a blast. When he's clicking on every cylinder possible, it makes it so easy. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I, I you know, we haven't really talked. We talked about. Um, Nevada getting a uh, defensive coordinator. We, we sort of talked about Jay Norvell. As much as I dislike Nevada, because as a Boise State fan and a UNLV fan, that kind of is like the antithesis of my schools. Credit to Jay Norvell for doing what he's done to kind of give Nevada a, a relative level of success. And I, a lot of that has to do with Nevada's running back Toa Tawa. I don't know if you guys watched Nevada during the high years of Nevada um, with Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick and yeah. with Kaepernick and and, and uh, uh, the running back off. at that time was yes, and the running back at that time was Vitawa. Um, is that his brother? Toa Tawa is, I believe, his younger brother. Oh my goodness! Oh my heart! Oh, it's going to be and, awesome. Shout out to our listener, Tell Stevens. He uh, He's going to be excited to hear that. I, I, I believe, I believe he's, he's, uh, yeah, I'm looking it up. Uh, that's, that's correct. So he is the younger brother of, of Vitawa. Toa Tawa, the way he plays, if you watch the Nevada game, he's not as bulldozery like how Vi was, but he's getting there. And being that I believe he's going to be a junior this year, if he gets to that level, like how Vi was with that just kind of bulldozing, you know, Jerome Bettis bus style running back, just knock him over. However, like they're there. Nevada is going to actually be offensively fun to watch defensively. Not so much, but offensively very much. Do you think they beat Arkansas in their second game? I mean, who won't beat Arkansas? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Okay, Nevada <laughs> over Arkansas. Continue. The ghost of Chad Morris. Right, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and say this: If Nevada doesn't beat Arkansas next year, then I think that should be a kind of sign of things to come for the for the team. One of the players, and it's actually kind of a coach discussion too that I wanted to bring out, uh, bring up is Hawaii quarterback Chavon Cordero, who is assumed to be taking over for Cole McDonald, the great Cole McDonald. So Todd Graham, <laughs> the running joke, like you said, of him leaving places often. There's also the other side of that, which is he's always hired really just ace assistants. Mike Norvell being an example of that. They brought in the offensive coordinator from William and Mary, Brennan Marion, who created the go-go offense. And the go-go is a two-back shotgun 
it's almost it's almost similar to that old Nevada system, except it's typically two running backs standing on either side of them or both on the same side of them, and it's almost a de facto triple option, run pass option type system. It's extremely Ooh. fun. I don't know anything about Cordero, but I'm hoping that he can adjust to that system that they implement, and I'm sure that Todd Graham's going to let him run because you don't just bring in a guy that creates an offense to not run that offense. Well, and, and that's part of the thing is is the Mountain West has always kind of been known as innovators in terms of offensive and, and defensive styles. I mean, Rocky Long is a defensive genius. TCU before that when Gary Patterson was there. Gary Patterson, absolutely. Kyle Whittingham with Utah, who's been there at Utah for literally ever. Even on the offensive side, Rolovich didn't invent the run and shoot, but he helped Hawaii re-perfect it after June Jones left and, and a couple failed coaches. And I think, you know, obviously Chris Peterson at Boise State and then Brian Harson taking over in Peterson. You know, Brian Harson was Peterson's offensive coordinator as well as Cal's Justin Wilcox was Peterson's defensive coordinator. These are the guys who helped innovate Boise State's offense and defense, and I and I think you see it in their teams now. They're respectively head coaching. So you know you bring somebody in like uh you, you know you bring somebody in like uh Brennan Marion. I really hope Cordero definitely has the speed. He absolutely has the speed, and and some would say he's actually more efficient of a passer than Cole McDonald was. I guess the big question is is the go-go offense going to be as backyard football as the run and shoot because the key with the run and shoot was it really was like backyard football that quarterback had a really good relationship with his two top receivers so that literally you can change the play at whim and and so you know if Brennan Marion is going to basically bring this RPO option that looks amazing, by the way, I'm, I'm watching video of it right now, and basically have it be a more disciplined offense but still keep it up tempo, that is going to be – the question will be, will the players have enough discipline to execute it? Especially in year one, but I think it could be pretty fun. Yeah, one one player that I think will have a big impact on if if whether or not his coach is going to survive uh, will be the quarterback at San Jose State. They had a quarterback last year, Josh Love, who I think was right near 4,000 yards passing, which is pretty crazy. The newcomer is going to be Nick Nash, who just played a little bit, um, and they also brought in Nick Starkle as a transfer. So uh, San Jose State was pretty good on offense last year they've been dreadful on defense so i don't know if it'll matter but it'll just be interesting to see you know who can win that job and how that how the team ends up playing that's going to be an excellent one too because if san jose state overperforms i imagine that there's a slight chance brent brennan gets mentioned for a bigger role too which i think he's done an excellent job there so one of the things about san jose state kind of where i live i'm able to go to one maybe two San Jose State games a year, and people say, Chris, why would you do that? And I'm saying because college football is crazy and fun, and late-night Mountain West Friday night games are the best. Going to that Boise State-San Jose State game last year was part, like, it like it sort of gave me a heart attack in some ways because <laughs> Josh Love was so good at what he did. But you can't just look at, at, at Josh Love. 
you know, you have you have also, um, you know, the, the receivers there. Isaiah Hamilton, Jaquan Blackwell, you know, these guys are going to really, really take it to you. And are defensively last year? No, they weren't great. But you know what? They were improving over the course of the year. And I think as long as Brent Brennan keeps up the improvement and sticks to a system and sort of likes to uh, really embrace that that uh, underdog role and just you know always play the underdog I, I think they're always going to have a chance to to kind of snag an upset and you know you might see san jose state going bowling this year which that'd be awesome yeah that'd be excellent and kyle anyone else before we move on to games no let's get on to games all right so i'm gonna kick it off here no pun intended friday november 6th Brigham Young at Boise State. It's not a conference game, but it is a game that Boise State lost last year. So I'll be really interested to see how that one plays out. I think it's going to be ugly in a fun way where they're both just swinging. I think Boise State wins. We don't we don't need to have a prediction, Chris, just for the record, but <laughs> I thought I'd add that in there. Uh, Jeff, give me a game. I'm always intrigued by non-conference schedules. I don't know why I get so enticed by them but uh hawaii for three out of their first four games are arizona ucla and then they have oregon so that's going to be a really challenging start i think last year they went two and one in the pac-12 didn't they they, they had a really, they had a hell of a year last year against the pac-12 they won the pac-12 south i believe <laughs> yeah they beat oregon state they beat arizona they lost to washington that was the first that was their first <laughs> loss <laughs> They're doing a back twelve play, going to week three. Chris, what do you think? There's a lot of there's a lot of different games. You could look at uh, Utah State's non-conference and see how they hold up. They're they're uh, playing against Rolovich and Washington State. Jimmy Lake, I think, is the new coach at Washington. They go yep. to Washington. Of course, they have a uh, BYU. I I think. Uh, of course, like I said, I, I've got my own. I've got my own biases. You've got to look out for the Florida State game. Florida State actually coming to Boise State, as well as Georgia Southern is also coming to Boise State. So those are some going to be some exciting games to watch. UNLV, um, the fact that they are opening up Allegiant Stadium against Cal. This was outside of like a the fact of a, like kind of sort of a marketed game trying to bring Raiders fans and saying, oh, look, Cal's going to come and play, you know, and UNLV's going to kind of, you know, it, I, it's going to be silly. It's going to be ridiculous. I don't expect UNLV to win. However, I'm really interested to see how UNLV does. And if Marcus Arroyo takes that first step to basically becoming an excellent head coach, I think this is where it starts. And then two weeks later, it continues against Herm Edwards and Arizona State. And then, like I said, they go on the road to Iowa State, which you never know how Iowa State's going to play. Remember, this was a UNLV team that beat Vanderbilt last year. So they can pull off a Power 5 win or two here and there. Is there anything else of note? I'm just looking at my schedule. I have a fun out-of-conference one. Air Force at Purdue. Should be a pretty pretty good, maybe a repeat of, of what happened last year against Washington State. 
Fresno State at Nevada feels like a game that could go 60, 70, maybe something you can watch and stay up till 2.30 uh, a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> yeah, we didn't discuss Kalen DeBoer um, taking over for Jeff Tedford, um, but that it'll be interesting to see how he does at the helm there. Um, I, just like you, you Chris, uh, I'm looking at Florida State, the Boise State, Florida State. I just, I'm curious to see what the response is after last year going down there and beating them. What happens this time around? I know new coach, but what happens in that game? I almost expect Boise State to kind of lay them out a little bit. Also, a little bit long, a little bit further in the in the season, uh, Boise State at Wyoming. What 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 is the date on that? Do you have the date? November twenty first. Ooh, that's so it could be a snow really. And that game's at Wyoming, right? Yes. Yeah, it's going to be snowing. It's going to be cold. Oh, expect the Wyoming fans to show up for that. Oh, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> that'll be fun. Um, another Wyoming game to look out for. They're playing Utah this year. Oh, how does Craig big. Bull do against? How does Craig Bull do against uh, Kyle Whittingham? That's going to be kind of like a, a weird iron versus iron sharpens iron game. I feel like. <laughs> A grudge match. Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's going to be tacks on the field, maybe some barbed wire. <laughs> Mick Foley is going to be the be the head ref. Yeah, he's the lead the lead official. Uh, here's a random here's a random FCS game to look for. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, Nevada a little bit this year. UC Davis is playing Nevada, and they've they've had this series a few times now. But uh, how many are, are you guys aware uh, who took over UC Davis uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe three years ago? It's the former A and M. Oh my goodness! It's Dan Hawkins. Oh, it is Dan Hawkins. Oh brother! Oh, after after our intro music, we have Dan <laughs> Hawkins. That's perfect. It is Dan Hawkins, and they didn't do as well last year, but in 2018. They won the Big Sky Conference, Davis did, and they made it to the quarterfinals in the FCS playoffs. That's really impressive for an intramural team. <laughs> it, it is impressive for an intramural team. <laughs> but that's why I said Davis is sneaky. They they didn't do as well last year, but I would expect Dan Hawkins and UC Davis to really give Nevada a, a fight for their life. Well, let's talk about, to, to kind of wrap up our Mountain West coverage, who we think is going to win each division and who we think ultimately is going to win the Mountain West. Kyle, who do you have in the Mountain and who do you have in the West? Uh, mountain, man, it's tough to go against Boise. It, it always is. Until somebody knocks them off, they're the king. In the West... Uh, I'm kind of looking at – give me Nevada, actually, Ooh. to jump up. Give me Nevada to jump Ooh, up, even but with still Brian get beat Ward by Boise. coaching that defense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe this is the, sp- the secret sauce for him. Uh, give me Boise versus Nevada and Boise winning. Okay. Jeff? So Boise State, Kings of the West, or – Mountain. Mountain. Mountain in the West. Sorry. <laughs> I was just, uh, I was reminiscing on Brady Hoke. Um, I think Hawaii falls down and Nevada is trash. Therefore, I'm taking San Diego State to win the West. You're trash. 
Okay. You're trash. Right. This is the kind of trash talk I wanted. So I've got Boise State went in the mountain as well. I really wanted to pick Air Force or Wyoming. I just can't because Bachmeyer is, is really good, and I hope he stays healthy this year. In the West, in part due to the aforementioned receivers that Chris brought up, I've got San Jose State surprising and winning the Western Division and then them probably getting hammered in Boise State winning the championship. And Chris, you will finish this out with your prediction. You know, I'm really scared that we haven't talked about Utah State enough this year. I could just go with my two alma maters, Boise State and UNLV. That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Can you imagine UNLV making it year one? That'd be wild. That, that, would, that would be insanely wild. I, I think with Boise State, they got a good schedule set up. And like I said, if they come out strong against... Interestingly enough, they come out against Georgia Southern, which I think still uses the triple option, yep. and then at Air Force, which is a second straight week of triple option football. If they come out strong against those two, then I think returning home for Florida State, they, you know, every year they're always got a chance at, at twelve and zero undefeated or thirteen and zero undefeated. So I, I once again, I think they're they're kings of the mountain until until they're not. But I always think I like I'm always scared that like like I said, Air Force or Wyoming is is going to sneak up and get them. But I'm going to stick with Boise State right now. You know, I, I'm i going to say San Diego State. Uh, you know, Brady Hoke was the safe move. And being used to that system, I, I think, and especially with their non-conference games, they're going to be playing UCLA as a non-conference. And then being able to do relatively well in the West – You'll probably have a tie, but I, I think San Diego State will probably hold the tiebreaker. But I really, I would love to see, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Todd Graham, but I really, really, really want to see what Marion does with that offense. And if it is as success, successful as the run and shoot, look out for Hawaii. I just think you could literally take a die, like a six-sided die, roll the dice and that would be your West champion. And that would be the team that would lose to Boise state in the championship. And that, and that would be the team that loses to Boise state. That's exactly right. <laughs> so Boise state's your champion, Chris. I, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the safest, most probable answer. And I don't see anything else happening as I know there are Boise state fans who have been annoyed with Brian Harson because he does have this tendency to let a game or two slip away from him. Uh, And that's been consistent ever since he's been the head coach at Boise state. He doesn't have that complete perfection like Chris Peterson did. That's going to be the worry every year. Do they have that just random slip up? Chris, thank you for coming on and talking mountain West football. I've got one serious question for Chris. So you just brought it up. Who would you root for if Boise State had to play UNLV in the championship? You always go undergrad, man. That's that's always been my rule since day one. Boise State was my undergrad, so Boise State will be the team I go for first. Wow, Chris taking a shit on the whole city of Las Vegas. God, just a, I, big, old, a big old dookie on that brand new stadium. I can't believe it. Wow. <laughs> so, no, I do not mean to, I do not mean to crap on my hometown city. But it's, you know, you always go undergrad first and then grad school unless, you, for some reason, you really enjoyed your grad school more than your undergrad experience. <laughs> you loved papers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
And now we are joined by Nick, also from the Forgotten Five. You'll remember him from last week's show. Nick, welcome back. Hey, you guys. So we are going to talk about Frank the American Pants. Athletic <laughs> Conference. We're going to yes. stay off. I'm cutting out every mention of Frank Solich's pants, just to be clear. I'm editing That'll never off. die. That'll never die. It's forever here now. Just like mm-hmm. mech suit, you freeze. So, <laughs> so UConn left the American, and so what we now have is an 11-team conference that will not have divisions, but will stick with their same schedule they had planned. So you can't mm-hmm. play 10 conference games. That's going to happen. Some weird schedules. But I wanted to start off like we usually do, talking about coaches and or coaching staffs, maybe a hot seat or two. Nick, I'll start with you now that you're you're new to the show. Definitely haven't been here before. Uh, out of Jeff Scott getting taken from Clipson, going to South Florida, or Ryan Silverfield being hired from within at Memphis, what do you think is, general opinion, the best hire? Oh, God. I would I would like to think that Jeff Scott coming in with his pedigree from Clemson is the better hire, um, just because obviously uh, Silverfield is, is the easier hire. But I also think that Silverfield's going to start off with the hotter seat, just because legitimately Memphis was one of the best teams in the conference last year, um, and they return one of the highest levels of production from last year. So they have to be the odds-on favorite coming in the season. And given that Silverfield has been with the team and is mostly just a continuation hire, he's going to be expected to not just win the division that doesn't exist anymore, but win the conference. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be on him from his opening November if he doesn't at least get to double-digit wins, which is no small ask for for a first-year guy, regardless of how much talent you have coming back. So that'll be interesting to see, but I'm also curious to see whether Jeff Scott can um, undo whatever the hell Charlie Charlie Strong did because it, it it just no. <laughs> it doesn't look pretty, and and I think if you if in my opinion if the head coaches were a draw, I think both are really great hires. I do like the coordinator hires by Silverfield better, especially the Mike McIntyre part, which I never thought I'd say that, but McIntyre being a former coach and he did really good things as a defensive coordinator at Ole Miss I think he can really help a Memphis defense that could use just a touch might be the difference and also teaching Silverfield what he might already not know about being a head coach and managing a program and all that right I can't believe USF even hired Charlie Weiss oh junior oh well <laughs> at, least, at least at least at least he won't have four schools paying him <laughs> comes from I'm waiting, the same I'm waiting stock. for the Mangino kid. Does he have a kid to come into coaching too? Similarly I shaped. Don't, I don't think Mark Mangino has <laughs> ever been in good enough shape to procreate. So no. I'm just saying. What? That tickled me. I'm happy about that. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to get this out there while we're while we're talking because. For, this is this will probably be the first and last time I ever say this on record, but I am disproportionately excited about East Carolina football this season. I've long been negative on them because they've been a shit show ever since Jeff Comfort thought it was a good idea to fire Ruffin McNeil and hire nobody. But I think that 
now that he left, getting Mike Houston in has started to kind of bring things on the up and up. And with Holton Ehlers at quarterback, they were finally able to turn that corner to at least somewhere between interestingly bad and mediocre. And and with everything they have coming back, if nothing else, they're going to kind of (laughs) – in the American, I always use 2016 Tulsa as my benchmark because they were a team that um, wasn't fooling anybody on defense – but they were good enough on offense they could at least get you in some shootouts and did that enough times to get to 500 and do a bowl game. I think that's going to be ECU this year. So I think that it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of reach that potential. And I, I, I want to get this out there. My, my hot take for this season is that ECU is going to go to a bowl game and Holton Aylers is going to flirt with 5,000 passing yards. Oh. Whoa. Ooh. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, this will segue us into players really soon. But Mike Houston, for anyone that doesn't know, was the former James Madison coach that did great things there. And he is as, I think, a slam dunk of a hire as Ruffin McNeil was for the program earlier, before that weird no man's land that they've been in. He's just a continuation coach. Shout out Everett Withers in your Twitter account. <laughs> ECU last year... Absolutely torched SMU. They torched mm-hmm. Cincinnati, and there was another school in there too that they, like, there was a three week run where they were just insane and almost untouchable. They didn't win any of those games, but the offense was just batshit crazy. So yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited to catch Eastern Carolina in general, and really the American. It helps that there's such a good level of competition throughout. So they're really trying to punch above their weight right now. I think East Carolina last year was in the lose close. They at the end of the season they were in that lose close category. I think they win close this coming year. And as as Nick alluded, I think they'd be bowling. That's a big jump to go from losing close to winning close. <laughs> yeah, it's just a big just jump. Me a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. So so the thing with with ECU so. Last season, if you really kind of parse it out, they went two and three in one possession game. So that's about what you'd expect. But I believe what you're referencing is uh, a three week period where against Cincinnati, SMU and well, UConn, but whatever. It's a, 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 streak, <laughs> a streak is a streak, whatever. <laughs> they, they managed to put up 125 points in three weeks. But yeah, I mean, I mean, r- realistically, if they can be a team that finishes just last year, they don't go four and eight, they go bowling. Um, and I, I agree that that's considering how I hate to say, I hate to use the term watered down. Okay. So we'll, we'll use the NFL term competitive. Sorry. <laughs> considering how competitive everybody outside the top of the American is, I think that the gap between four and eight with some competitive losses and a bowl game is a lot smaller than we think. Cause all they have to do is get to the middle. The next coach I kind of want to talk about is Dana Holgerson. Do you think that Houston's happy with that hire at this point? Well, I mean, they seem perfectly happy with Major Applewhite after. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> hey, hey, eight and four cost you your job in Houston, buddy. <laughs> not only, not only did he go four and eight, but he ran their quarterback out of town. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not true. It's the <laughs> other way around. He ran them out of town, then they went four and eight. Uh, okay, okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> My timeline was wrong. He did what 
no coach has really tried yet, which was after he realized that it wasn't going to be there to just redshirt everybody that he thought was going to be productive for next season. So I think Houston, they're allowing that mulligan last year. But if Houston isn't in the conference championship or third or fourth, I think Houston's upset. And if he doesn't hit 10 wins, especially they'll be upset because they have a stacked team in terms of experience. Yeah, I I would put him in the category of, um, which shout out, uh, Derek King, I love you. But if you could have just said right away the full statement, which was not, I'm not transferring, but I'm going to finish my degree and then I'm definitely transferring. We would have all really loved that a whole bunch. But I, I think that because Holgo thought he was super clever and decided to punt on last season, he's now painted himself into a corner where they either, I, I'd say, I'd say this year, minimum eight wins, or he's going to go into next season with his his butt on fire. And his hair will be even higher. <laughs> be, that's that's going to be from the Red Bull. God, and the humidity, <laughs> the humidity and the Red Bull and that hair just are an awful. Awful combination. Right? That's, that's Houston. <laughs> I hope the carpet matches the drapes. They're both soaking wet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to loop back for a minute to to, to, to ECU just, just to kind of finish them off because re, I think that they're they're really a bit of a dark horse if you take a look at it. They've, they've got Marshall. It's a winnable game. They get Marshall home. They get an FCS team at home. They're probably still not going to beat UCF, but they get them at home. Um, their road games all winnable. Georgia State, USF, Tulsa. They get a Tulane team that's down at home. They, they really have a, a really strong shot at a bowl game, not from a, from a scheduling standpoint, from returning talent. Why am I talking about ECU like 6-6 six and six is a big deal? Jesus, somebody help me. It is a huge deal. So let's do a – I'll do an exercise I just thought of. Okay, really oh simple. I'm going to name three coaches – and you guys tell me who you think would be – oh, God. Who do you think is going to be taken away from their school first? How about that? Frank Solich. Wait. No. Yes, Frank Solich is the right answer. We're going to go with – They're just going to draft – they're going to take his pants. ECU's Mike <laughs> Houston, USF's Jeff Scott, and Cincinnati's Luke Fickle. Fickle. Fickle, yeah. yeah. it's got to be Fickle. That's easy. He already turned down a Michigan State job, and and I know that Michigan State isn't like this wonderful position, and he had to have seen the writing on the wall of how big of a mess it's going to be. <laughs> Luke Fickle is going to replace Ryan Day eventually, period. Does Ryan Day allow him to if Ryan Day is doing what he's doing? I mean, Luke Fickle's stronger. It doesn't matter. That's how that works, right? Yeah, they're going to put him in a... <laughs> They're gonna put him in the fucking Thunderdome. Oh, God, that's Luke Fickle's music. <laughs> <laughs> on to players. Let's just stay on this East Carolina grind. Holton Allers, obviously a quarterback to watch, a player to watch. Two other ones, the receivers that are returning, CJ Johnson, Tyler Sneed. They were pivotal in the Cincinnati and the SMU game where they were just torching them. They're both really young, too. I believe they are both sophomores, perhaps. So there's another year of them that we're still going to have to deal with. Jeff, who do you have as a player to watch? Are we still talking about ECU or have we moved on? No, we moved on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, well, Jeff, Jeff is uh, so mad about ECU. <laughs> I'm extremely salty. Too deep on their defensive line. Just Welcome to Run Pirate Option. 
Um, keeping with the receiver theme, I uh, was doing a little research on Temple and did not realize that despite them being a little more, I guess you would say, run heavy, ground and pound, they had two receivers who both almost eclipsed two thousand a thousand yards last year. So Temple's been fun to watch the last few years, and I'm really interested to catch catch them this year and see if uh, maybe their passing attacks more prolific. Well, I, I think they may have no choice just because for probably as long as they've been in the American Temple and it's it's partly by design with with um, the coaches they've had uh, but Temple for as long as they've been in the American has been that kind of traditional Northeastern we're going to play great defense we're going to run the ball to control the offense all those sort of things they're, they're having to replace so much production on defense that I think they're they're going to wind up having to pass it more out of necessity, and based on what I've seen from that passing offense so far, I don't know how good of an idea that is. <laughs> but if I may, I would just like to hop back on Holton Ollers' junk for just a minute. Um, you really are he, finishing them off right now. Oh, good God. He's really an interesting study because he kind of kind of rounded out last season as things went along. You know, freshman year he kind of struggled. He had a hard time staying healthy. Sophomore season, first half of the year, he averaged about 50% completion, maybe a little under 200 yards, one touchdown, one pick per game. Second half of the season, he only had one game where he completed less than 62% of his passes, one game where he threw for less than 310 yards, and in the last four games of the season alone, he had 14 touchdowns and three interceptions. So, assuming that that is progress and not scheduling luck, um, I, I think that that's that's. I'm, I'm just patting myself on my back for my 5,000 yard, 5,000 passing yard <laughs> prediction, but I really think it's it's not all that absurd. And and if he can be that prolific, then they've got a good shot at at pulling some upsets. That being said. I'm also curious to figure out what in the world is going to go on at Tulane because they're they're in kind of a similar boat where they have their system that they run. Willie Fritz does his thing. It's it's kind of his system, and he he's he's talked in the past about you know not being the kind of hardcore option offense guy that he's been. He also tried to sell folks on the fact that that was just him doing what Georgia Southern expected of him, despite the fact that he did at Sam Houston State before that. But Tulane has a a bit of a known entity in that they've got Keon Howard, who transferred from Southern Miss, a quarterback. And I actually got to see him when he was at Southern Miss and when he was healthy. And don't pick my brain right now, but I you, you typically had a two-quarterback system when he was at Southern Miss. You had Keon Howard, who was your high-risk, high-reward guy, and then his counterpart, who was the low-risk, low-reward guy, now, at that point in time, it didn't matter because neither one of them would stay healthy. Now, it's also not going to matter here if he can't stay healthy at Tulane, which, considering they have a not great, I believe, fifth worst in the country returning production, it's going to be interesting to see if he can either find a line that's going to keep him upright or scramble enough to get away from it. But I'll be, I'll be curious to see if he can actually do something meaningful because they're going to need him to kind of step up and fill that void if Tulane's going to manage to not fall to the bottom of the conference along with their offense. 
Yeah, and to make another bowl game, it feels like he really needs to shine. And and to your point, the production that hasn't returned, I am excited to see what Fritz does because there's it's there's kind of that huge unknown, and he is someone that seems to utilize people right. I think Tulane could be. I hope they're a lot of fun to watch this year, as they were last year with Justin McMillan. Kyle, do you have a player? Kenneth Gainwell. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, there's a dude that went from not being really known to being a top guy in the conference last year. Little fact right here, he had the most 15-yard plays when combining rushing and receiving last year. So he's explosive. If they can get him out there and he does anything like he did last year, they're going to be right there at the top again. You know who else is explosive? Dana Holgerson after those Red Bulls. Woof. <laughs> Kenneth Gainwell is a great shout, Kyle, especially when you consider that Brady White is still going to demand attention. Coxie's still going to demand attention. Another Memphis player, Pop Williams, was one I wanted to bring up. He missed all of last season with an injury. He's got a return aspect to it, so I could see him being utilized like Gibson was last season. This would be pretty cool. It's Devontae. Devontae Cooksey, by the way, guys. Come on. Coxie's funnier, though. <laughs> you know you know what get his name out of your mouth okay <laughs> he can't he needs to finish it jeff go ahead is reggie roberson jr back for one more year yes he is i am so excited to watch if smu you hear my smile <laughs> wait wait you're excited to watch smu and shane bichelle isn't the reason Shane Bichel is obviously the reason, but part of it's because he'll still have his best deep threat back now with Reggie Robertson. And with Robertson, who's going to be excellent, Rasheed Rice is also really, really good. Next year in the NFL draft, Kylan Granson, the tight end from SMU, is absolutely going to be picked. The dude is fast. He's big. He reminds me of whichever one of those Iowa receivers were fast and big, and I can't remember <laughs> their names at this point. Tight ends? Yeah, one of the, the, the two tight ends that got... Is it Grant Kittle? Oh, <laughs> George Kittle? George Kittle? Or are we talking about Noah Fant or a, or a Hawkinson? Fant <laughs> slash Hawkinson, but Fant was the best receiver out of those two, correct? He's the best deep threat, yeah. Yeah, he okay, was the so deep let's, threat. Let's do that. Let's run with that. Colin Granson is this year's Noah Fant. Didn't think I'd be saying that in this preview. I'm not sure what that says about his NFL prospects, but okay. Yeah, he was an he was an awful sleeper for me when I tried to pick a tight end like late in my draft. What you get for grabbing a tight end? Do we think Navy that Navy, no pun intended, sinks towards the bottom of the American <laughs> with with Malcolm Perry leaving? That's that's hard to judge with them because this happens probably every few years. Like two years ago, I think it was Navy lost a ton of production on defense. And this year it's going to be a ton of production on offense. And they are so system-driven. You know, it's true for them, it's true for Army, it's true for Air Force. They are so ingrained and system-driven that I, I believe Navy is ranked what? They're ranked, uh, let me pull this up here. They are 100th in returning production on offense. Um, for most teams, that would be, well, hope we can find something that works. But they have so much redundancy and 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 duplicity built into their system that matters a lot less so navy being uh, 100th in returning production returning 50 percent is more like comparable to uh, houston's 73 percent that they're returning so it's it's not a as dramatic a turnover as you seem but i do think that 
they lucked into Malcolm Perry a little bit because it took them almost a full season to wind up with Malcolm Perry as their quarterback because he was a converted wide receiver and slot back. So it's it's certainly hopeful that the right guy and, and it's Navy, so you don't need the right quarterback to be the right quarterback. You just need him to be the right leader and the right athlete. Right. And, and hopefully they find that spot. But I, I think the overall turnover is going to be enough for them to slide a little. But I think slide a little is more of the like six win territory. They're not going to plummet to the to Yukon territory. Yep. Nobody can go to Yukon territory. They're going to become an independent at the end of the year. <laughs> so Again. <laughs> They've been there before. They know what's up. <laughs> Just it's uh, familiar waters, you might say. <sighs> Boy, this show this show's gonna have such a different tone from the first half to the second half. <laughs> this is our wheelhouse, which is also a boating reference, in case you guys didn't know. So, for, yeah, me, hey, for me, Desmond Ritter, uh, quarterback for Cincinnati, is gonna be a big player to watch. I think he's gonna be. I know he's going to be entertaining. It's a matter of whether he's going to be healthy or not. And he's going to have former Alabama running back Jerome Ford in his backfield to help out. Is so he going to fumble offense. the ball like he did in that first game against UCLA last year? I think it just kind of fell out of his hand. <laughs> and to be fair, I think, I think Jerome Ford is going to be a, a, a big pickup because he leaned more than people expect. Like Michael Warren the third didn't have huge, huge numbers, but he really was someone that Desmond Ritter relied on a lot. So I think that having a big name talent like Jerome Ford be able to come in and, and slot right into that is going to be really helpful for him and, and kind of sort of increase the continuity that offense is able to have. Jeff or Kyle and, and further Nick, do you guys have anyone else you want to speak about before we kind of hop over to key games? UCF, I think um, probably should get talked about because they're not a team that gets talked about much. Yeah, what about Dylan Gabriel? <laughs> well, here's the funny thing, right? So I don't know if you guys have ever, ever, ever watched, but if you saw the very end of the 2018 season yeah. uh, when Daryl well, Mack, Daryl Mack was all of a sudden the starting quarterback, uh, he played really well. He didn't get many games, but he played really well. And now coming into this season, he is the third most experienced quarterback they have on the roster. Now, obviously, we don't know yet if Mackenzie Milton is going to play or if he's just going to be clipboard coaching. Um, yeah, but they have a ton of quarterback experience and a ton of returning talent. So I, I think that they are the team that's going to be hurt the most by the loss of the divisions just because, you know, they don't get that guaranteed UConn game and what would probably be a even more usual, even more than usual winnable game against Temple. It's not for sure, but I, I, I think that that quarterback room continuity is a big win for them. And I think that it says a lot for Dylan Gabriel that despite his ups and downs, they stuck with him last season and he kind of picked up his own slack as the season went along. So I think that there are a number of programs across the country, let alone in the American, that would kill to be like, oh, well, this guy got hurt. That's fine. We got this guy. Oh, he got hurt, too. That's fine. We've still got this guy. So having that sort of weaponry to to build off of, that allows you to miss somebody like Adrian Killens a lot less. But you know, three guys at quarterback and then multiple guys between Greg McRae and, and Otis Anderson at running back. They they have so much depth of talent. Like they lost their their best running back and their best wide receiver, but they bring everybody else back. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see a little more uh one more year of them in Memphis kind of dominating the conference because of that. You really feel for Josh Heupel because of it. Yeah, life is rough. He's got I, a tough time. I do hope 
just speaking briefly of Milton, part of me is scared to see him play again. Yeah. I, I don't want him to get hurt. But he was so fun. I hope that he has in his his decision here, but the mind for coaching and he sticks around and coaches. Because I think that would be a really cool story. Not not very uh, dissimilar from the South Carolina running back that I always forget his name. La- La- Marshawn Lattimore. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Just like Lattimore, who's a coach now I, because his leg just kept getting screwed. So. Well, so 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 let's backtrack for a minute since you have a guy here on the podcast who's a physical therapist. What what, what is it that concerns you? I guess it's just like what. So I, I was watching the game live when it broke, right? Because it was just mm-hmm. like a straight break in his shin, correct? Well, so he, he his his knee essentially exploded. <laughs> yeah, because his leg wobbled like Ed McCaffrey the night before nine eleven. Like the dude, the dude's oh, leg was flopped fuck. around. Wow. Yeah, or, or Zach Miller, the exact same injury, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so 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 here's the thing. It's football's a dangerous game, injury is inevitable, da 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 da. But realistically, he initially had a bit of a rough go because he had to have multiple surgeries to get things stabilized. But he has been right on track and, and crushing goals. And he, he he's a smart guy. He knows that because he's as smart as he is, he probably has a future in coaching. All he has to do is say I'm in and they'll give it to him, whether that's at UCF or, or a number of other programs. Um, but he's he's a very with it dude. He he, he knows kind of where his bread is buttered and all that sort of thing. And as as much as he enjoys playing quarterback and would love to get out there, he's not going to do it unless he is absolutely certain that he can do it without even blinking because he enjoys the opportunity to coach Dylan Gabriel and Daryl Mack just as much. Which is nice. So, so I'm I'm not worried about him playing only because I know that if he does play, it'll be because he and his coaches have done his due diligence and made sure that, you know, obviously his knee is never going to be more than 99% whole, but he he knows well enough that he's not the kind of guy who's going to go out on a leg and a half like Robert Griffin the third and have to be dragged off the field because he's too stubborn for his own good. He 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 knows this stuff and and he's going to do it if it feels right and won't if, if he's not 100% confident. So. That's the main reason I'm not worried about it. Well, Nick, that makes me feel a lot better. It really does. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Marty before, can sleep at night. Before we jump to games, last call for players. Nah. Okay, Doug. So I have written here, I have written here three games as key games, but right above that, I also have literally all of them written. <laughs> and, and, and part of that and, and all of the games and it's because the American Nick kind of he stole my bit really I mean he be taught, brought it up earlier on just sorry, no, sorry. when you're not a top top team in this conference especially this year there's such a a thin margin for error between spots four through ten really maybe even eleven so I think that every game is going to be a huge game. But I, I still have three written down. And I'm going to start with North Carolina at Central Florida at September 4th. Dylan Gabriel versus Sam Howell. Jeff, give me a game. So a game I, I watched last year uh, because of your fandom, Marty, was SMU Memphis. Uh, excited to catch the rematch this year in, on October 1st. Memphis at SMU. 
kind of in the middle of the season, I guess early, but should be a big matchup. It's exciting, and don't think that the crowd is thin because of COVID. It's always like that. Kyle, (laughs) give me a game. Um, I got two, actually, uh, both on Cincinnati's schedule. Uh, First of all, Cincinnati at Nebraska. I just want to see Scott Frost cry. Please. (laughs) I want them to be real mad that they hired Scott Frost. October 31st, Halloween, Memphis at Cincinnati. Give me that. It's going to be a fun one. That's going to be a blast, too. Defense versus offense and seeing where Cincinnati's offense is at that point, too, will be fascinating. On Halloween, people wearing stupid costumes if they're able to go to the games. Spreading COVID to each other. They're all nurses and wearing masks. (laughs) (laughs) But they're sexy nurses. They look like Nick Donovan. (laughs) Nick, give me some games and then let's make some predictions. So, I think... Just generally, to backtrack for a second, I've I've been kind of cruising the schedules, and I think that the American is going to post a winning record in their P5 non-conference games. But one that I'm very interested in, just because, you know, coaching turnover is fun to keep an eye on, is Tulane, September 26th at Mississippi State. And I think you know why... (laughs) <laughs> Not only because of a certain new head coach, uh, but also because now that um, Kylan Hill may not play until Mississippi changes their state flag. So hopefully they do that by then, because otherwise they may have problems, especially if he's not the only player that winds up making that decision. Now, I, I'm not sure that Tulane will be together enough on offense to do much more than make that game interesting. But perhaps the turnover of Mike Leach coming in and, you know, leeching up the place creates enough turnover that they're they're a bit of an unstable team. Um, And I think if nothing else, the one thing that's going to be guaranteed for sure is that the game will be interesting. Yeah, I was going to suggest that that it might be wherever Tulane is at, I assure you Mississippi State is probably in a worse spot because of the transition to the Leach's offense. That should be really fun, if nothing else, because you also have the heavy pass failing or not versus the Tulane system as well. Okay, so Nick said he had a bold prediction for the conference championship game, so we're going to hit that last. Kyle, can you give me your top two and your champion? Ooh, okay, so it's got to be a top two. I think that Memphis beats Cincinnati, and because of it, knocks Cincinnati out of the championship game. UCF, Memphis. Okay, and so UCF, Memphis, and who do you have? Memphis winning. I've got... In order, UCF UCF finishing first, SMU finishing second. And my champion Homer. being UCF. And, and part of the reason that I have SMU going that high is they happen to avoid UCF through the regular season. And they have Navy, Cincy, Memphis, and Houston at home. Memphis's schedule, Cincinnati's schedule, there's a lot of road games that go a lot of different ways, but... Yeah, I've got Central Florida beating SMU in the championship game. Well, damn. I, uh, after listening to the quarterback talk, I'm jumping on the UCF train. Um, and I think Memphis is going to be, they're still going to be extremely explosive on offense. So I'm going to go UCF and Memphis with UCF winning the championship. I swear to God, I thought you were going to say East Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) You built into it. No, sir. Nick. No, this is where East Carolina is coming in. Yeah. So, East Carolina versus East Carolina. 
<laughs> Spring game. No, come on. I'm obviously going to pick East Carolina. You oh, oh, wait, no. Never mind. Um, so the easy pick is UCF versus Memphis playing a title game that probably winds up something like 66-63. However, Jeff and Kyle, you'll be impressed to know that I will make a certain somebody happy with my prediction, which is that Cincinnati is going to make the title game and lose to SMU. Yes. Wow. I cannot. I literally got chills, Nick. You really are here to make my day better. I appreciate this. I don't don't like this all at all, like in one bit. (laughs) This sounds terrible. When we do the ACC preview, I'm going to have someone on here that hates Syracuse and just keep filing on Kyle. That's everyone. That's everyone. <laughs> yeah. Everyone hates this. Let's go back to the ECU talk. I'm done with this. That's awesome. So we have – so we have yeah, – please, let's get back to ECU. So we have a Central Florida champion. We have an SMU champion. Jeff, yours was – Central Florida. And Kyle, yours was Central Florida too? That uh, was Memphis. Memphis. Okay, cool. So there's three different choices. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's going to be – I don't think. I know it's going to be an excellent season for the AAC. It should be really fun. Do either of either, do all three of you, do you have anything to say before we get out of here? I think that the margins will be narrower this season. I, I, I think UCF might finally be done, quote unquote, coming back to the pack now that uh, Memphis and Cincinnati and SMU have improved and sustained as much as they have. Um, I don't know yet if that's enough for them to kind of lose their grip on the top spot, but I do know that it's enough to have completely eliminated their margin for error. So, you know, let's go back to the hallmarks, you know, the John Madden staples, right? Uh, uh, this is, this is going to be all about, you know, uh, 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 who, who doesn't give the ball away? And because, you know, if you give the ball away, you can't score. And um, and uh, 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 the, the team that finishes with the ball last is going to win. <laughs> I like it. I'm just not a big fan of all the pandering to Marty in this. This is... It was not by design. This is highly disappointing. He paid me, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Marty, the only thing that keeps me from really loving SMU is the fact that they gave up the second most points in the whole conference. Yeah, that's... And still went 10-3. and Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say it was because of Craig James killing those five hookers, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the minister, minister... Minister James? No, he's not. Is he a minister now? Yes, he is. It's the worst. Hey, God, watch what you say. We're going to shut you in a shed. It's the biggest crossover. We brought up Leach. We brought over a James. We talked about hookers. So, for me, for Kyle, for Jeff, and for Nick, I'm going to say have a good week. And in the Pac-12 preview, will be out soon. Bye. Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.